We're finishing up Joshua. We've been in this book since January. We followed Israel into the promised land. Uh, they've gone into the land. They've taken the land. And they've defeated the warlords of the land. But they haven't uh, inherited all the land. Or they haven't possessed all of the land. There's still work to do. They've left the job unfinished. <coughs> and Joshua now... We're on the last two chapters, and these last two chapters are his farewell address. So these last two chapters are Joshua's Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy was Moses' farewell address to the people, and it was crafted around the structure of an ancient Near East Hittite suzerainty treaty. Well, that's exactly what we're going to see in Joshua. This week, his farewell address, and the next week, the final re-ratification of the covenant, and it's going to be in the exact form of an ancient Near East Hittite suzerainty covenant treaty. All of, the formula, uh, um, all of the formula aspects are going to be there. And we'll look at that next week as the book ends. But Joshua now, <clears throat> this is verse chapter 23. It starts with, it says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua by then old and well advanced in years summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. So that's what it means by all Israel, <clears throat> the representatives of Israel, elders, leaders, judges, and officials. So Joshua calls the leaders together. Last time this happened, Moses called everyone together to lay hands on Joshua and anoint him as the next leader. Joshua's not going to do that. He's not going to provide us. There's, no, there's not going to be a successor to Joshua. Because Joshua was meant, Moses was meant to get the people to the land. Joshua was meant to bring the people into the land. And after that, God is meant to lead the people while they're in the land. And so Joshua does not appoint a successor. His family line does not carry on a dynasty because Joshua is not a king. He was never intended to be a king. He was never intended to do anything other than the purpose that God called him for, which was to get the people into the land and to lead them in their battles against the Canaanites, which he did successfully. So after a long time had passed, and this is some of the, the commentators based on the ages of the different uh, Joshua's death and different age uh, counts in the story, they say this is probably somewhere around 25 years after the last events in the last chapter, uh, after Israel has settled the land, and there's you know there's still pockets of resistance, and there's still um, cities and 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 areas that are controlled by Canaanites, but not by armies and and massive strongholds anymore. So it's just up to Israel now to enter the land. And it's just what God said, little by little. They're going to fan out, spread out into their territories and take the land. <clears throat> After, you know, give or take, I don't know, 20, 25 years, however long, Joshua summons all the leaders of Israel and he says, I am old and well advanced in years. Verse 3, you yourselves have seen everything that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the lands of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you. You will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So now Joshua, the successor that he's naming, if you wanted to call it that, is God. 
He's saying, you've seen what I've done for you and, and as your leader. I've done this for you, but remember, it was God who fought for you. Now, that same God who fought for you is going to be the God who fights for you. Because that's how He always intended it to be. This was never a human endeavor. It was never a geopolitical endeavor. It was never an ethnic uh, purity endeavor. It was always a covenant endeavor. It was always to bring the family of Abraham, the descendants, the seed of Abraham, into the land that God had promised that He would give Abraham's seed so that then they in turn would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. What's the purpose of Israel being in the land? To be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so what Joshua was telling the leaders is saying, remember, remember how you got here. Because in the future... There's still work to do. And you're going to think, you're going to be led to believe that you've got to do something different. And that's not the case. Do what you were called to do. Do what God has, the, the agreement that we entered into with God. Hold fast to that. He'll take care of the rest. And so Joshua is very keen on pointing the people in this chapter and the next chapter, pointing them back to their history and pointing them back to what God did at Mount Sinai. So that they can then look forward to the challenges ahead. But He's not calling them to chart out into some new, unknown, completely uh, different direction. That's one of the things that churches wrestle with in this day and age. I'm in a denomination right now. I've got to go next week and wrestle with a bunch of Methodists. And uh, I wish, sometimes I wish we could physically do it because I, I have more confidence in that. But um, I've got to wrestle with some in my own denomination who think that, that the key to our church thriving is, is embracing new doctrine, is rejecting what's in Scripture and doing, quote, a new thing where the Spirit's leading. But the thing is that the Spirit, the new thing that they're always talking about is contrary to what the Spirit's already revealed. And so I have to say, no, that's not our job as teachers, preachers, Christians, disciples. Our job is not to lead into new things that we come up with or that the culture comes up with. Our job is to point people back to the old things that God set in place and just say, walk in those. Now, it doesn't mean you don't adapt to new circumstances. Of course you adapt in different circumstances. Of course the Gospel fits in new wineskins. All of that stuff, none of that's negated. But it's, it's, it's got to be the covenant itself. The Gospel itself for Christians today. For Israel, it's got to be the Mosaic Covenant. That was the testament that they were under. We are under the New Testament. But the purpose is the same. So, for Israel, Joshua's intent on saying, remember where you came from and remember the God you serve. He hasn't changed. His plan is still the same for you. You're still to be the seed of Abraham in the land that God promised to Abraham to be a light to the nations. And all of that can only happen if you walk in covenant obedience to God. See, Israel is going to fall under a delusion. And it continues among Christians and among Jews to this day. And the delusion is, if God chose our ancestors, then by default we're automatically God's chosen people. It's never worked that way. It's never worked that way. God chose Abraham, but every generation has to have the faith of Abraham in order to be counted as the seed of Abraham. Whether Jew or Christian, 
And so in the, in the time after Jesus, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist will both say, well, you know, God can, he can raise up seeds of Abraham even from these rocks. You know, he can, you, you say you're a child of Abraham, but you're not. Because if you were, you would live the faith of Abraham. Your, your deeds and your behavior shows whose child you are. And that's a truth that the New Testament will build on. Read 1 John. That's a book if you want to slap in the face. 1 John will flat out tell you who, how you know whose child you are. How you know who you belong to. And so what Joshua is wanting to, to ingrain in Israel is you are not Israel apart from the covenant. doesn't matter who your parents are. doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or your bloodline. You are not Israel apart from the covenant that we made with Yahweh God at Mount Sinai. So Israel's going to go in the very next book, Judges, and everything's going to just start a downward spiral. And Israel, and all the way through the time of the prophets, they're going to presume that because of who their ancestors were and because that there's this thing called the tabernacle, later the temple, still standing in Jerusalem, that everything's cool with them and God. And God's going to send prophet after prophet after prophet saying, no, 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 you're not. Things are not cool between us. Because while you have the external things, your heart is hardened and your heart is uncircumcised. Doesn't matter what your body is in terms of circumcision, it matters what your heart is. And so, God, it's an Old Testament concept. It's not a New Testament concept, it's an Old Testament concept. But it's, it's something that gets lost, but it's the paradigm for believers in the New Covenant as well is a transformed heart and a life of holiness and obedience is what God's people are to walk in. Does it mean a life where you never sin, you never mess up? Not necessarily. But it means a life where you do it a lot less than you did before. That's for sure. And a lot less than the world around you. That's something that gets lost in modern churches as well. It becomes cheap grace. This is an offshoot of the Reformation in reaction to Catholicism's tendency towards works righteousness, is the Reformation swung the other way. And you, know, you can sin a million times a day and it doesn't matter. You can't out the grace of God. That's not in the Bible. That's not a biblical teaching. Sin is rebellion against God and God shows His people, Old Testament and New, there will be a point if which you continue in rebellion that He will say, away from me, I do not know you. Doesn't matter the prayer you prayed when you were nine years old. Doesn't matter how many goosebumps you got at the last revival. The key is, as is starting to set the pattern in Joshua's day, walking in covenant obedience with God. Day by day. Day by day. Covenant obedience. Based on what He's already done. That's not, it's not works righteousness. It's not walking to earn a spot in heaven. That's already, you're standing in the kingdom. Joshua's telling the people, you're already God's people. Continue in it. Stay in it. Don't run out of bounds. Don't high-handedly sin. Don't rebel against God. Don't turn to other gods. Don't have God and. You know, God and Baal. God and Chemosh. God and Moloch. God and Asherah. That's what they're going to be tempted to do. And Joshua's going to say, no, there's no and. It's just God and God alone. He goes on, he says, verse 6. Excuse me, verse... Yeah, verse 6. He says, be very strong 
be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. In other words, as you've been doing, continue to do that. See, that's how it's not. Israel never had to earn their salvation. That's a, that's a, that's a later, later Christian myth. that they, The Jews had believed they had to earn their salvation. No, they never believed that. Um, they had to stand in their salvation. They had to actualize every day by being God's people and reaffirming. That's why they had the yearly festivals. That's why they had the daily prayers. That's why they had... They, they weren't ways of getting to somewhere. They were ways of celebrating where God had brought them. That's exactly what the New Testament says when Paul says, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works within you. Work out. Live out. Let your sal-. Salvation should never be a private thing. Faith should never be private. It should be personal, but never private. Personal, but never private. It should always affect everything we do. There was a cartoon. I shared it on Facebook the other day. It's it's this series called Coffee with Jesus. And it's this guy. He's got a landscaper hat on. He's sitting there. And he's having coffee with Jesus. And he's saying, hey, Jesus, I'm thinking about putting a little Christian fish decal on my sign, my billboard for my business. And then Jesus says, why are, you, why are you thinking about doing that? And he says, well, I want people to know that we're a Christian company and, and that we do business, you know, we we're, we're, uh, have Christian values. And Jesus, <laughs> the last minute, he says, how about you leave off the fish and just let your hard work, your honesty, and your uh, general dealing with people, let them figure it out. <laughs> I was like, ah, novel concept. In other words, how about just be a Christian and people will put the pieces together. That's step one. Um, but it's easier to just put a fish or a cross or a slogan and then you'll get Christian business. That's a good money-making scheme. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So he goes on, he says in verse 9, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as He promised so be very careful to love the Lord your God. Literally in Hebrew, I believe it says, guard yourself to love the Lord your God. In other words, keep watch over yourself that you are loving the Lord your God. Now to love God in a covenant context, to love, a, to love the King in the context of a covenant document didn't mean to have nice feelings for the King. What it meant was be loyal and exclusively loyal to your king. Because this phrase, love, you know, love the Lord your God, it's found in other ancient Near East covenant treaties. You shall love the great king Supilululumus. That's actually a real name. Um, you, know, you shall love the great king so-and-so. And it's to these other peoples. And what it meant in a covenant context was be loyal to. That's how they described loyalty to a king was love them. So it means everything from serve, be devoted to, don't seek after someone else. Don't cheat on this person. You know, it was characterized as a love relationship, even though it was a king to his vassals. And so this is what Joshua is commanding the people. Love God. It doesn't mean always think happy, nice thoughts about God. The Psalms are going to be filled 
with people not thinking happy, nice thoughts about God, but rather screaming out to God, crying out to God, blaming God, yelling at God, and all of that's okay. God's fine with all of that because it's in the context of a relationship with God. And in a relationship, emotions are real and they should be expressed real. So when it says love God, that's what it means. It means be loyal to Him and be faithful to Him. Yeah, you can take your problems to Him. You can rail at Him. You can shout at Him. You can say, I don't understand this. You can say, I, from my perspective, God, I don't see it and I'm mad at you. And I, but that's all within the context of, but I want to stay in a relationship with you. And there's a difference between that and somebody who's, I'm mad at you, God, so I'm going to have nothing to do with you. That's different than I'm mad at you, God, so draw closer because I need you and I need to not be mad at you anymore. It's a very different type of prayer. So Joshua is again telling you the Lord is driven out. One of you routed a thousand. This is, remember, Israel, what Israel did is utterly incomprehensible. They were a group of slaves, predominantly Hebrews, but also from other mixed multitudes that came out of Egypt after 400 years. And they went into Canaan and they drove out army after army after army. And these were not slouches. These were powerful. Um, <clears throat> you know, King Sihon, King Og of the Transjordan tribe. They were big territories. They were big deals. Israel routed them. And then they got into the land, the southern campaign that we read about at the beginning of Joshua, where they put multiple armies to flight and then turned in the, the northern campaign. And they attacked Hatzor and burned it down. It was, a, a, it was an epicenter. It was an a, um, urban center of civilization with a powerful army. Iron chariots. Israel conquered. Israel. They didn't even really have weapons. I mean, some of them might have had swords, sure. But they, didn't, they were not an armed, a well-armed army. They had no chariots. They had no horses that we know of. They, had no, you know, they, they should not have done any of what they did. And that's what Joshua is reminding the people. It was not you who got us here. It was God who got us here. So remember this. Then verse 12. But if you turn away, and NIV says ally yourselves, but in Hebrew it says cling to. It's the word for cleave or cling to or melt. It's used for welding things together. <clears throat> so if you cling to, if you turn to... Um, if you, if you ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and, <coughs> and you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So he's warning them. <clears throat> Here's what God's done. If you turn to the nations, the ones who remained, and you become them, that's what it means when it says associate with. It doesn't mean, hey, how you doing? No, it means like, hey, I noticed your daughter noticing my son. Why don't we make a little alliance here and let's form a family? And yeah, you can keep your gods and we'll worship. But let's just become one. You lose your distinctiveness. Lose your covenant distinctiveness. You intermarry. You intermingle. You, you, you blend in with and lose your covenant identity. That's what he's talking about. He says if that happens, then all of the blessings of the covenant are gone. Because you've abandoned exclusive loyalty to God, to me, your king. And you've allied yourself 
with these nations and the things that characterized these nations were their gods. The Canaanite fertility gods. So to intermingle, to intermarry, to interweave yourself with them was not just an ethnic mixing. Remember, God never had any problems with interracial marriage. Never had any problems with ethnic boundaries being crossed. We saw, those of you that are here for Exodus, you remember what, Moses, what happened when, when Moses' sister complained about his dark-skinned wife. And God said, you want a white girl? Fine, I'm going to make you a white girl. And gave her leprosy. It <laughs> turned her white as snow. Um, God's never had a problem with interracial, interethnic marriages. What he's had a problem with is interreligious marriages. And of, 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 of saying, well, I'll keep my God, you do your thing, and yet somehow we're going to be one people. doesn't work that way. The New Testament calls it being unequally yoked. Because eventually it's going to pull in different directions. And God's saying eventually if you do this, these people, the, 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 their entire belief system, you're going to be embracing. And you're going to be abandoning me. And it's going to come back to haunt you. And he's already said over and over, if you become Canaanites, you will be treated as Canaanites. And I sent you to judge and drive out the Canaanites. So if you become them, guess what? I'll send somebody to judge and drive you out as well. Which is exactly what he's going to do over the course of the next thousand years or so. But this is a warning to him, or, or to the people, of what's going to happen. <clears throat> they have to remain distinct. Not distinct. Not, it's not a superior, inferior, genetic, tribal thing. That's what it gets, it gets portrayed as wrongly. It's a covenant thing. It's a covenant thing. So anyone who enters into the covenant, anyone who is open to the God of the covenant, is welcomed. It's never, you know, Ruth, she was a what? What nationality was Ruth? She was a Moabite. Deuteronomy flat out said, no Moabite is to enter the assembly of the Lord. But Ruth, by leaving her family, her background, her faith, worship of the gods that the Moabites worshipped, she becomes an Israelite. And she's not only welcomed into Israel, she is the great-great-grandmother of King David and the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. We've seen it in here with Rahab as well. Same thing. Rahab's in Ruth's line. Rahab's in David's line and Jesus' line. Rahab was a Canaanite. She was from Jericho. She was a prostitute. But she had faith enough to see the covenant God and to know, I want to be on that side. And knew that she couldn't save herself. And so she cried out to deliverance to his, his apostles, his emissaries, the spies, and said, save me and my family. And they made a deal with her and they saved her. She entered into. So it was never, it's, again, it's, this is how it gets spun by critics and people that just aren't careful Bible readers or don't know theology well enough. It was never about ethnicity. It was never about bloodline. It was never about remaining aloof. It was about remaining devoted. And that's the distinction between Israel and the Canaanites, is who are they devoted to? And that's the distinction between God's people today and everybody else in the world. Who are we devoted to? It doesn't matter how we... We're not under the Mosaic Covenant, so things like how we dress, what we eat, what holidays we celebrate, those things were shadows of the Messiah, and He's come. So now He's the focus, and those things have passed away. And that's why Christians don't keep those things but we still do the things that those keeping those things was intended to do in the first place, which is we are still a distinct 
obedient people, dedicated, devoted to our covenant Lord. And that's what Joshua is calling Israel to be. So then he says, verse 14, Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Meaning, I'm about to pass on. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil He has threatened until He has destroyed you from His good land He has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God which He commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land He has given you. Well, this is a fascinating... This will throw a, a monkey wrench into some people's theology, but who cares? Because it's in the Bible. Look at what he said. All of the promises have happened. Not one of God's good promises has failed. God has done everything. Yet, if you turn away, all of the curses will fall on you. There is a conditionality. Even as Israel is in the land, after being saved from Egypt, after being brought through the wilderness, after passing through the Jordan River, in the land, now living as God's covenant people, there's conditionality. That's a dirty word in some theological circles. You know what? Election and salvation, it's unconditional. Not here. It's very conditional. Very conditional based on them continuing in. Not doing anything extra. Not doing anything to add to what God has already done. But to live the reality that God has called them to live. And this is the paradigm for what New Testament is going to describe salvation as just in light of Jesus. And, and so, again, whatever this does to your theology, we won't go too far. Calvinism, Arminianism, once saved, always saved. You can lose your salvation. All of that. Forget any of those arguments. Just the key is this. God saves His people. God redeems His people. God frees His people. God then gives His people the law by which they are to live as His people and says, walk in this. It's not impossible. It's not too hard. It's not, remember the end of Deuteronomy. It's not far away where somebody has to cross the sea to get it. It's not up in the heavens where we'll say who will go up and ascend and bring it down to us. It's not down in the depths where we'll say who will go down and bring it up to us. That was Moses' parting speech. He says, no, this law is right here. It's on your lips. It's in your hearts. It's right here. Everything you need for life and godliness, God's given, but He will not make you do it. He won't make you walk in His ways. And that's the, that's the thing that introduces the human element into it. And so Israel had a choice. He's going to make it very clear in the next chapter. It'll be a very famous line. But um, the choice is going to be set between Israel and is being set between Israel and God, is will you continue or will you turn away? Will you continue? Will you chase after other gods? Will you continue? Will you go the way of the Canaanites? So it's a very poignant speech to the leaders of Israel. And now, 
verse tw- or chapter 24, which we're going to look at next week as we close out. Now, all of the Israelites are going to go to Shechem. And Shechem has an interesting back history. Those of you that were with us for Genesis. So things happened at Shechem that were very important. And that's where they're going to go fittingly to renew the covenant as a whole. Not just the leaders like Joshua was telling this chapter, but all the people together. And they're going to renew the covenant and then the book's going to come to an end. But our time has come to an end. So we have to go today. There's still a few steaks. There's still some uh, desserts and some extras. So grab some if you need. There's to-go plates in the back. Other than that, let everybody know that wasn't here today. We missed them. Be back next week, the finale. Then we're taking all of July off. Because I need, I need a month away from y'all. No, I'm just kidding. But I need a month to prepare. Um, so we're going to take all of July off. And then we'll be back in August. Yes. All right. So you guys have a great week. Thanks for coming.